So, did you get the directions? I didn't need directions. I just need a little bit of clarification. Besides, we don't want to be there too early. It'd be boring. Well, we've only been married six hours, and you're already bored with me? No, I said waiting at the airport would be boring. We've got 15 minutes, and the airport is around this next curve. Should we be seeing that? Airplane design or something? That airplane is a mile in the sky. We're nowhere near the airport. Well, we'd have been at the airport if you hadn't turned the map sideways. <gasps> at least most people can figure out which way is north on a map. In less than 16 minutes, we're supposed to be flying to the honeymoon paradise of our dreams to cement our love for the rest of our lives. And we're nowhere near the airport. All because the macho image thing makes you think you can't stop and ask proper directions. Is this part of PMS thing that I was warned about? No, but it might be the PMSM thing. What PMSM thing? I probably made a stupid mistake. Wait, are you talking about misreading the map or marrying me? Take a guess. Marrying me? <laughs> Your sense of direction is improving. Fine, then we'll just go on home. Fine. Fine. You might have another problem. What now? I don't know which way is home. <laughs> don't cry, honey. Don't cry. There's a gas station up ahead. I'll stop, get directions, and we'll just go on home. I don't want to go home. I want to go on my dream honeymoon with the man I love. Is that still me? it is. Even though I'm arrogant and sensitive and a little bit lost. I didn't marry you for your directions. I didn't marry you for your great map reading abilities either. I'm sorry. Love you. Love you too. What are we going to do now? Well, we've got 13 minutes left and we've got to be close. I'll stop, get directions, and you just pray that the plane is late. Did you get the directions? Not exactly. I was too embarrassed to ask. Why? This is the same gas station we stopped at before. Why did I hear more women laugh at that last song? <laughs> I heard the melodic soprano voices out there. It was pretty good. I like the 930 service. I have three pairs of glasses up here today, and um, all my disorders are coming back to haunt me. I'm getting old, so I can't remember what I've done with stuff. I can't see, and I'm obsessive compulsive, so I've got three pairs up here. Back in the old days, you know, we first started television, they used to tell me, Mark, if you, if you come out with one pair of glasses at 930, we only had two services back then, but they said if you come out with one pair at 930, you've got to come out with the same pair at 11, because if we have to edit it and you've got two different kinds of glasses on, they're going to they're gonna think something's up. So, uh, anyway, I've got a bunch of glasses up here today in case I can't see. I, I remember when I first started hearing about the term prenup, you know, a prenuptial agreement. And I didn't really know what it was all about, but, uh, you know, in time, I, I came to understand that, that typically what happens with a prenup is you've got two people getting married and somebody wants to hedge his bets. 
You know, one person's maybe wealthier than the other person, and, and they don't want, if things go south, they don't want things to hit real hard with the community property loss. They sort of set up from the beginning uh, a structure of what's going to happen if things don't go well, if things go south, and who's going to get the money and who's not going to get the money and all that. And, and, and we watch, you know, enough celebrity stuff on television to see this play out sometimes and go to the courts. But after being a pastor as long as I have been, what I've discovered is that in marriage, if things go south, there can be enough intolerable cruelty that no matter how ironclad the prenup is, there will be a time when people don't care so much about money. They care about other things, more valuable things that are lost. And so this morning, what, what I want to talk to all of us about, and, 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 and forgive me for breaking the sentence, I know our message is targeted towards singles today. And maybe you came in and you just say, Mark, uh, I don't really know if this marriage is going to have any bearing on me because I'm already married and... Um, uh, you know, I'm, it's too late for me, or I did just fine, whichever, whichever place that finds you in. But, you, you know, the thing is this, even if you are married today, for many of us, we'll have kids and grandkids, and the stuff that I'm going to be talking about today is really, really important. And from what I can tell, it's not widely known. So it's going to be worth your time, e- even if you're married, you know, because who knows what the future will bring in your life. So file this away. And, and here's the deal. All of us love people who are single, and we have an opportunity to talk to people who are, like, you know, thinking about getting married and contemplating, and maybe they'll come to you and ask for advice. And so whoever you are, wherever this message finds you, it's going to be valuable to you, I believe. But if you're single, especially today, uh, this message is just it's so important. And I, I, my prayer is that God will like talk to all of us where we will be most advantaged by the message. Now, here's the thing. Your marriage is the most important relationship in your life after your relationship with Jesus. The decision about who you marry is the second most important decision in your life. First is, of course, whether you decide to accept or reject Jesus Christ. That is the most important decision in life. But the second most important decision is who you marry. And the reason why that's so important is it's going to influence so many other key decisions in your life. And today, with things not going well with marriage, culturally, I think it's important for us to stop and and ask ourselves the question, what does it take to find the right person? I can tell you something I've heard many times in my 30 years of pastoring, and it, it goes something like this, you know, a woman will come in to see me usually because women are smarter than men when it comes to relationships. Hope that's not a newsflash, but that's true. And then secondly, women will, will tend to recognize a problem before men. That's not always the case, but most of the time it is. And so what will happen is I'll, I'll start hearing about a marriage that's not going well. And, you know, there have been 10, 20, 30 years of bad road. And, and, and then I'll hear this line that just freaks me. Every time I hear it, I, it just, wow, it rocks me back. Because what will happen is this woman who's going to tell me about all these years of bad road is going to say something like this to me. Oftentimes, she'll say, you know, Everything was pretty good during the time we were dating, but, you know, the night before we got married, or when I was walking down the aisle, or as soon as the vows were said, this line, almost instantly, I knew I had made a mistake. I have heard that so many times. Have you heard that? Almost instantly, I knew I had made a mistake. Now, I was born at night, but not last night. And, and the one thing I know about that was it was not a flash from the sky. It was not a revelation. Somebody, a guy, a girl, somebody was ignoring red flags. And like they were talking themselves into, you know, I'm going to make this deal happen. But when the deal started to go down, it was like almost instantly I knew I had married the wrong guy. And after listening to them sometimes, I'm ready to sign on to that. Yes, indeed, they did marry the wrong guy. But, you know, here's the thing. If, if you wanted to go to Corpus today and, and, you know, you get on the turnpike and all of a sudden you start seeing signs for Kansas City, 
And then, you know, you say, oh, man, Omaha, man, I can't believe what happened to Omaha. And don't even talk to me about Sioux City. You know, I, I want to say at some point, you should have thought about that before you got on the turnpike. Because you should be seeing things like Oklahoma City, Dallas, Austin, you know. And, and, and I want to say to all of us here today, it's really, really important that we get on the turnpike at the right place and find the right person. Find the right person. And in, in just, just as a way of disclaimer today, I know I'm probably talking to some of you today who've had a bad experience, and if you think I'm picking on you, please, nothing could be further from my mind. My bet is you're going to be my biggest fans today. But, you know, if you've had a bad experience, like I said last week, give it to the grace of God, learn from it, dust off your pants, and get back into the game. But my goal today is to talk to single people, and, and for all of you who are single, whether you're six years old or you're 96 years old, this is going to be good stuff. It's going to be really, real helpful. Now, at New Spring Church, for those of you who might be new to our fellowship, we don't get our authority from a denomination. We're not a denominational church. We don't get our authority from, you know, a bunch of old men who sit around the room try to figure out what the rules are. And you don't even get your authority. We don't get our authority from me. I'm under authority just like all the rest of us are. When, when we want answers, we go to the Word of God. The Bible is God's Word. And so today, what I want to do is I want to go to the Bible. It's really important for me because I haven't been single for 31 years. It's really important for me to go to the Bible and find out what God has to say about picking the right person. So, because here's the deal. This is fail-safe. This is great stuff. And uh, if you're single, you know, if you're thinking about being single, you have kids, or just anybody you want to influence who's single, you might even want to jot some of this stuff down. Um, I'm, I'm going to take you to the book of Proverbs, chapter 31. And if you don't have a Bible with you, that's fine. There's usually one in the, in the back of the pew in front of you. You can grab that if you wish. And these verses will be up on the iMag as well. Um, Solomon is listening to a very, very important person in his life, his mom. And Solomon's mom is going to give Solomon some good advice about what to look for when he goes out looking for a wife. Now, Solomon's mom is not a perfect woman. You know, sometimes I listen to, to, to parents and they're saying, you know, Mark, I'd like to talk to my kids about drugs, but man, I was smoking dope when I was 15. Or I'd like to talk to my kids about, you know, about their relationships, but, you know, my kids know that I didn't have the best relationship in the world. You know what? I really believe, one thing I know about, and we have the greatest kids and teens and singles in the world here at New Spring. One thing I've learned from kids is kids, can, kids will take honesty just fine. In fact, that's what they want. They want somebody to be straight with them. And, and Solomon's mom had made some mistakes. And it wasn't just Solomon who knew about his mom's mistakes. Everybody in the country knew about his mom's mistakes. In case you were here last week, remember I talked about David? Solomon's mom was the woman he got involved with. And after their first baby died, their second baby was Solomon. So now here's Bathsheba. She is a God follower. She loves the Lord with all her heart, and she loves her son. And she's made some mistakes, and she's got some experience that she wants to share with her son. And by the way, I know I'm talking to a lot of, you know, we've had a lot of teens in all three services, and I'm really jazzed about that. I'm really grateful, so excited about that. Um, you know, I remember what it was like to be a teen. When I was a real small kid, I thought my dad knew everything, but something happened to him when I turned 16. He just lost all that intelligence. He didn't know anything at all. I can't figure out why he lost it, you know? And, and it could be that you're kind of in a situation like that, and you're, you know, you're at home still, and you're thinking, my mom and dad are just clueless. They don't like the people I date, and what's the matter with them? And my parents, they're not as smart as I am. And, you know, and, and Mark, have you seen the way they dress? You know, clearly they don't know how to, they're just not very bright. Well, maybe your parents don't know how to dress, and they may not know as much as you. 
But I could I tell you one thing that, that older people have? They have experience, and there's no shortcut to good experience. Sometimes that experience will have come from them making mistakes and figuring it out. Sometimes it will come from them just observing life. But you don't have experience until it's too late often. And that's why it's so important to have mentors in your life. Why it's so important to have people who have wisdom that you can listen to. And so Solomon's mom is going to talk to him about this really, really important thing of finding the right woman. And so I'm just really excited to hear what she has to say. And Solomon is writing it down. This is in verse 10 of chapter 31. Who can find a virtuous and capable wife? There's two words in English, but really just one word in Hebrew. And it's the word that means strong. In the last two decades, we've heard a lot about strong women. And Solomon's mom is saying to him, who can find a strong woman? She is more precious than rubies. Her husband can trust her. She will greatly enrich his life. She brings him good and not harm all the days of her life. Now, usually when we read this verse, it's in the context of talking about a woman. But I think it's because a man is writing. A man is saying, who can find a good woman? Who can find a strong woman? But I think if a woman had been writing this, ladies, what would she have said? Who can find a good man? Who can find a strong man? Several things that jump right out of the box to me about what Solomon is saying here is he, by asking the question, he's inferring it's not easy. A lot of times singles will come to me and they'll say, Mark, you know, you just don't know what it's like out there. It's a nightmare out there. And it's hard to find the right person. Well, 3,000 years ago, Solomon was chiming in with you and he was saying it was hard back then. It's a hard thing. It's not easy to find a strong man or a strong woman. And then he said, you're going to have to search. I've met Christians before who would say, well, you know, I don't, I'm just going to pray that God will just drop this person out of the sky. You know, I'm going to just pray God will send the right person. That's an important thing. And, and I'm going to talk about prayer later. But it's also important to search and evaluate the people in your life for, to see who, who, who is a strong person, a strong man, or a strong woman. But here's the one that I really think is important here. If you look at the text, Psalm is saying you need to know what it is that you're looking for. I really think that many people, when they go out to find a life partner, they'll just sort of like go out into life and hope for chemistry. Well, man, chemistry, what does that mean? You know, chemistry comes and it goes. I used to love you, but I don't love you anymore. I used to feel something, but the feeling's gone and I just can't get it back. The chemistry is gone. I mean, what is chemistry? And yet, I feel like that's what so many people go out looking for. They're looking for that, ooh, that funny feeling. And yet Solomon is saying, don't do that. He said, know what you're looking for. Know clearly what you're looking for. Now, I know instantly I'm going to talk to some of you more analytical types. You're going to say, now you're, now you're talking, Mark. i got a list with 68 things that I'm looking for. Fine, perfect woman. I want her to look like this. I want her to dress like this. I want her hair to be like this. I want her to drive this. And I want her to have this job. I want him to have this education. I've got this big, long list. Do you know there are only three things on Solomon's list? But they're huge. They're awesome. And they're so important. Listen to what Solomon's looking for. He said, number one, find someone you can trust. Look at that. One more time in the text. Let's read just, just so you'll see I'm getting this from the Bible. Her husband can trust her. Her husband can trust her. Look for somebody you can trust. Somebody who tells the truth. Somebody who's about what she says she's about. Somebody who believes what he says he believes and his life shows it. Solomon said, look for someone you can trust. Then number two, he said, look for someone who is a giver and not a taker. He said, I'm looking for someone who will enrich my life. Look for someone who's a giver and not a taker. And then thirdly, someone who will do good and not harm all the days of his or her life. Someone who will do you good and not hurt you. 
Solomon's saying, that's what I'm looking for. Did you realize there's nothing on that list about looks, nothing on that list about education or money? Not that those things are not important. I'm not knocking them. I'm not saying that they don't have a place. But notice that none of those things made Solomon's list. And I want to tell you something. To all you guys out there today, you're saying, I just want to find a babe that's hot. Listen to me. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. I mean, I know what I'm talking about. I'm an older guy here. If you find a woman you can trust who will add to your life, who will do you good and not harm all the days of her life, she will get better looking every day. (laughs) On the other hand, if you find somebody who you can't trust, who just is a constant taker, someone who will do you harm and not good, promise you, she will not look as good as time goes along. And it's the same for a man. Solomon is saying, these are the things that I'm looking for. Somebody I can trust, somebody who enriches my life, somebody who will do me good and not harm all the days of my life. But go back to this person who tells me, well, Mark, I just inst- almost instantly I knew I married the wrong person. That person ignored some flags, some red flags. For instance, if you think about trust, what would be a red flag if you're dating somebody and, you're, and this is not a trustworthy person? Uh, you catch them in a lie. You catch this person being deceptive saying one thing when something else is true. And then when you catch this person, he says, well, you know, the reason for this was my parents beat me when I was a kid, and the coach didn't play me, coach didn't start me, set me on the bench, my teachers had it in for me, and I just, you know, and, and, and this guy will have all kinds of excuses and reasons why he doesn't tell the truth, but don't believe a single one of them because you don't want to hook up with somebody who doesn't tell the truth. And when those red flags come up, you know, you watch for those red flags about trust. And then if you're looking for someone who enriches your life, what's the red flag that you watch for? Now, this person is always a taker, always a taker, always getting something but never giving, always talking about what he wants but never about what he wants to bring. Often, here's what you will hear from the, ear, from the mouth of someone who is a taker and not a giver. What you'll hear is this person talk about how life never treats them fairly, how they never get what they deserve, how that people never treat, you know, never respect them for what they're worth. That is the language of a taker and not a giver. Because givers are never worried about what they deserve. They're always thinking about what they can give. That's the red flag to watch for. Well, what about if you're looking for somebody who will bring you good and not bad? Well, I would say the first thing to watch for, the first red flag to, to pay attention to in this one is, is someone who's angry. You know, because here's what the Bible's saying. The Bible's saying if you find somebody who will do you good and not harm, anger always does harm. Anger doesn't do good things. Anger does damage. You know, when people get really, really angry, you know, they don't fix the garage door, they break the garage door. When they, when they get angry, they don't put stuff together, they smash stuff and break it apart. Or they, they turn internal and they get cold and frozen and won't talk. So, you know, if, if, if you see someone and they're angry right now and you say, well, Mark, I'm dating this guy and he's got an anger issue, but all he needs is a good woman. He just needs someone to have patience with him and understand him and to be there. I will trust you. You know, trust me on this one. If you're seeing a little red flag wave right now, there'll be a time when you'll see a car dealership flag wave, you know, because anger is a big thing. An angry person will do you harm and not good. If you're in a relationship with an abusive person, and you say, Mark, this, this, guy, this guy pushes me around, shoves me around, and, and it's not really, he doesn't give me a black eye or anything, and he doesn't like hit me, he just hits me in the arm and stuff like that. Could I just tell you something? If he's abusive now, he's going to be really abusive later. 
You want somebody who will do you good and not harm. You say, well, Mark, I cause it. I have a big mouth and I say things and I set him off. No, 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 no. If you're in a relationship with an abusive person, cut him loose. Cut him loose. That's a red flag. You want somebody who will do you good and not somebody who will do you harm. You know, I, and there's another one here that I want to give you as kind of a red flag to watch out for if you're dating. If you're dating somebody who's on an emotional roller coaster all the time, you know, I call these drama kings, drama queens. You know, if you're, there's always some drama going on in their lives. Have you ever noticed they're always the middle, they're always the star? If you're dating one of these drama queens, I promise you, there'll always be some drama going on, and she's the star. There's a reason for that. That person is totally self-absorbed, and self-absorbed people will not do you good. They will do you harm. So, watch for those red flags. Solomon is saying, I'm looking for somebody who is trustworthy, someone who will add to me, and somebody who will do me good and not harm all the days of my life. Okay? Are we on to that? I mean, I think all of us, you know, who've thought about life very much would say, yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense. But there's a more fundamental question. See, if you're dating, you know, because you, you could be going through the checklist and you could say, okay, Mark, I'm checking my guy out. I mean, I'm dating him. And, and yeah, I mean, maybe he, he kind of like adds up to some of this stuff. There's a bigger question if you're dating. And that's this. Why is that person trustworthy? What's his motivation? Why is he a giver and not a taker? Why? Is he someone who does you good and not harm? I mean, I'm glad he does. I'm glad she does. But there's a bigger question. Why does that person do that? Because see, here's the deal. Life changes. Situations change. I want to know why people are motivated to do what they do. Because if the motivation is deep enough, they will not change as life goes along. God is very concerned when you're dating and when you're single and you're thinking about marrying someone. God is really, really concerned about one thing. And I want to take you in your Bibles to look at it. It's in the book of 2 Corinthians And uh, it's chapter 6 and verse 14. Here's what God says. Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. Now, teaming, you know, that's yoking your life. It's getting together with somebody, hooking up with somebody, marrying someone. God is saying, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. And then in the same context in verse 15, he says, how can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? Now, I've been in church all my life, and I know how a lot of Christ followers think. They, they say, well, you know, if you're going to get married, you've got to marry someone who's a Christian. If you're a Christian, you can't marry someone who's not a Christian. And that's true. That's what God is saying. It's essentially what God is saying there. In fact, as a, as a leader, I will not knowingly marry someone who is a believer to someone who's not a believer. I just don't have permission to do that. God doesn't give me permission. Because God is saying, if you're a believer, don't get into a partnership with somebody who's not a believer. But through the years, I think Christians have really misunderstood what God is saying there. Because I've had a scenario play out time and time again in my office in my 30 years of pastoring. It goes something like this. There's a Christian girl in our church. She's dating a guy who's not a believer. Maybe it's a Christian guy dating a girl who's not a believer. And, and someday I'll get a phone call and, and they'll say, Mark, can we come in? Can we talk to you? And so everybody sort of troops into my office. And, you know, here's this Christian girl and the guy she's dating who's not a follower of Christ. And her parents are there and they're all frantic for one reason. You know what they're there for? They want to get him saved. They want to get her saved. And it's like, you know, oftentimes I've watched this poor kid, you know, a guy comes in my office, he's not a Christ follower, he doesn't know much about God, maybe never been to church much. And it's like this family has pulled him into this pastor's office so that the pastor can get him saved. And all this kid wants to do is get married, pray a prayer. Man, he'll admit to the Kennedy assassination if he can get down the aisle. (laughs) And you sort of hear this, you know, this kid pray this prayer and like parents are thinking, 
Okay, we got God off our backs on this one. God said, my daughter can't marry a person who's not a Christ follower. My son can't marry a girl who's not a Christ follower. We took him to Mark's office. So they prayed the prayer. Bingo. Game, set, match. We got it. That is so far away from what God is trying to say. I mean, here's what God is saying. You need to be Christ followers so that you have something in common to base your life on. You know, if you're a Christian single, I mean, you can say, well, well Mark, I, I talked to this guy, and he said when he was six years old at church camp, he prayed a prayer. He doesn't go to church. He doesn't read his Bible, never talks about God. He says, this is a private thing. <clears throat> can I tell you, that's not what God's talking about here. What God is saying is, look, find someone who follows Jesus. Here's why it's important. When couples get married, ordinarily, you know, here's what happens. Uh, 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 people will find someone who has the opposite personality. I don't know why that is. I've just found that to be true. Uh, in years past, when I used to do a lot of weddings, I don't do very many anymore. And I used to have long counseling sessions, and my schedule just doesn't allow for that. But one of the things I've tried to do through the years is I've given personality profiles, computer-generated personality profile tests. And they come out with this graph. You know, you can see the lines and how, how it works out. I'll give the guy his graph, and I'll give the, the gal her graph. And then I always get a blended profile. And the coolest thing is to watch those blended profiles because ordinarily on the graph, they're total opposites. I think only one time I've ever counseled a couple whose personalities were the same. And that's cool. I mean, that, I mean obviously, when we, when we go out to find a life partner, we want to find somebody who brings what, what we don't bring. And we want those differences to work for us. Often what happens in dating is that, you know, we think each other's differences are cute, and we kind of see how they work for us. And then when we get married, it's like, wow, those differences are just eating me up. Years ago, I, I read the difference between wild horses and wild jackasses. A lot of difference. Because when wild horses are under attack, they'll make a circle, they'll put their heads in, they'll kick out against their opponents. When wild jackasses are under attack, they'll make a circle with their heads out, and they'll kick each other to pieces. That's right. I've imagined that scenario a few times listening to people talk. Man, every married person here today... And you just know exactly what I'm talking about. Typically, you're going to have different personalities. You, you're different genders. That one is significant. Huge. Because, trust me, there's not a man in the world who knows how a woman thinks. There's a psychologist who wrote numbers of books about women. And he said, after all these years, after writing 20 books and all kinds of research papers, I only have one question. What do they want? There's not a man alive who knows how a woman thinks. There's not a woman alive who knows what a, how a man thinks. We are different. God tuned us to different keys. And then you, you come from different families, and your families celebrate holidays differently, and, and you have you know, all these different things in life. What is it that brings us back to common ground? For a lot of people, there's no answer for that. And it's a constant fight and a constant struggle. But here's the thing. Here's what God is saying. God is saying, so many things are going to make you different. What makes you, what makes you come back to common ground is following Jesus, knowing Jesus. Jesus, John would, Jesus would say this in John chapter 12. He said, if I am lifted up, I will draw everybody to, to me, to himself. You know what's wrong in the average home? There's a guy in the home who's saying, hey, I want my needs met. And so in order to get my needs met, I have to be lifted up. I have to be elevated here. I've got to be the, the important person. 
I'm, I've got to be lifted up. And you have a woman who's saying, I'll be hanged if you're lifted up. It's my needs that have to be met. And we need to be over here. You say we need to be over there. I say we need to be over here. And the kids come along, they say it's us. And man, it's our needs that need to be met. And we're over here, and this is where we need to be. And you have World War III going on in so many homes. What Jesus is saying is, look, if he is lifted up, we're drawn to him. And if we're all drawn to him, we're all drawn to the same place. What is your motivation? You know, find somebody. Here's the deal. If you're single today, if you're a single guy, here's what you want to find. Cast Chisel this in stone. You want to find a gal who loves Jesus more than she loves you. Girls, you want to find a guy who loves Jesus more than he loves you. Trust me on this one. If you find a life partner who loves Jesus more than he or she loves you, you ain't never going to be loved like that again. Because somebody who loves the Lord Jesus will love you with all her heart. And there will be that motivation. Why, why can I trust her? Because she's following Jesus. Why, why is it that he's a, a giver and not a taker? Because he follows Jesus. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than receive. Why is this person somebody who does good and not harm every day of my life? Because this person is walking with the Lord. That's why you want to marry someone. It's not, not well, man, this person's prayed a prayer and they're a Christian, so it's okay for me to get married. It's not like that at all. So if you're single here today and you're saying, well, Mark, I'm dating. How do I know if I'm dating the right person? Take your Bibles again and turn to the book of Genesis. I want to give you a test. This is a one-question test. I love one. I'm, I'm ADHD. I love one-question tests as long as I pass. <laughs> Guy named Jacob falls like a timber for this girl named Rachel. The only deal back then is that you got you to make a deal with the dad. And I think maybe there are dads like that here today. You say, I'm right there with you, bro. I mean, you got to make a deal with the dad. So here's the deal. Jacob, the Bible says, this is verse 20. So Jacob worked seven years to pay for Rachel. But his love for her was so strong that it seemed to him but a few days. There is a man in love, right, ladies? Let me tell you something. You find somebody who would work seven years for you, you got the right guy. But how about you? Would you work seven years for that guy? I mean, even if you couldn't get together for seven years, would you, would you do that for him? Guys, you know, would you work seven years for her if you couldn't touch her? I mean, a lot of people are saying seven years, that's a long time. Bring somebody else in here. But would you do that? Because when you find somebody that you would give seven years of your life up for, you've got the right person. When, when, a person gets, when a couple gets married, they say vows, don't they? They promise each other things. And that's good. We talked about that in the first message of Love Affair. But if you're single here today, I want to give you eight vows to make to yourself. If you're into writing notes down, I, I, want, to, I want to give you eight vows to make to yourself, eight promises to make to yourself. And please don't break a single one of these promises because if you make these promises and you keep them to yourself, it will help you so much find the right person. So here we go. You ready for this? I want to give you eight promises to make to yourself. These are personal I do's. Number one, I promise not to feel rushed. I promise not to feel rushed. Whenever I talk to someone who things haven't gone well for, and they say almost instantly I knew it was the wrong thing, I usually talk to somebody who's rushed. 
I don't care if the dresses are on sale. I don't care if the church is available on that date. I don't, I don't care what the deal is. You just make yourself a promise. I will not be rushed into this. Vow number two is very close to that, but it's a little bit different. It is, I promise myself not to feel pressured. I will not be pressured into this commitment. I'll, I'm not going to be pressured into this. Oftentimes people tell me, well, Mark, I really didn't, I knew it was not the right choice and this wasn't the right person, but you know, the deal was um, everybody in my office was married. All the guys I went to high school with, all those guys are married and biological clock is ticking and nobody else has asked me. So I just felt like, you know what, I need to go ahead and go along with this thing. This decision, who you marry is so big. You make yourself a promise. I promise not to be pressured, pressured into this. Number three, here's a big one. I promise myself I will not settle. I will not settle. Now, if you've got that list of 64 things there, that's a different deal. But I'm talking about this list of three things. Make yourself a promise. I will not settle. This guy beats me or he, he yells at me and screams at me, but I think he's, he's, he's probably the best available. No, no, no. Don't settle. Don't settle. One of the greatest tricks of Satan is to get you to settle for something that's second best to what God's best is. Don't settle. If somebody doesn't love you, he may say, you're never going to get another guy that looks like me. You're never going to have anybody else as good as me. You just tell that boy, keep on trucking, babe. God is going to send me the guy that God wants me to have. Don't settle. Number four, here's a big one. I promise myself not to ignore red flags. I promise myself not to ignore red flags. Because red flags, you know, warning bells, whatever, people saying, ah, I don't know if you should date him. Or, wow, you know, there's some things about him that, that go around that aren't very good. I promise myself not to ignore red flags. Number five, I promise myself not to shut out wise people. Because oftentimes we shut out wise people because we're so anxious for the deal to go down. We want to get the deal done before it falls apart. And then we shut out wise people. That's a bad thing to do. Number six, here's a huge one. Everybody who comes into a relationship comes in with baggage. You say, Mark, I'm dating somebody with baggage. Yeah, everybody has baggage. If they're over three years old, they have baggage. But number six, I promise to unpack the baggage before we get married. Your honeymoon is a bad time to find out there's baggage you haven't thought of. Unpack the baggage. You say, well, if I ask this question, he might take it the wrong way. Listen, it's so important that you get the right answers on these questions. If there's a question and you sense there's baggage, there's not a resolution for it. Don't go into marriage and say, well, I'm just going to hope for the best and I think this is going to work out. Unpack the baggage. I promise myself to do that. Number seven, I promise to read the resume. You know, oftentimes I meet people and they say, well, you know, I married this guy and he had a history of abuse. Oh, my so what were you thinking? You thinking he was just going to change because he met you? Now I married this 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 lady, and she had a history of broken commitments, broken relationships, lied to everybody else in her life. What did you think? You think you're Superman? You think because she meets you, she's going to change? No, no. Read the resume. And here's the big one, number eight. I promise to obey God. If you're a God follower, God's going to weigh in on this. God's going to weigh in. In closing today, for every person who's single or thinking about being single or love somebody single, especially if you are single, there are three words if you're dating, if you're looking or praying or have kids who are dating. There are three words that are essential, and let me leave them with you and I'll be through. Here's number one. Pray, pray, pray. Talk to God. Talk to God. How many times in reading the Bible do I, do I find God saying to people, you didn't ask? 
You didn't, here's one that God says often, you didn't wait for me to give an answer. You asked, but you didn't wait for an answer. And people screw their lives up so many different ways in the Bible because they ask God for things, and they didn't wait for God to weigh in. Or they ask God with their minds already made up. You know, God, you know what we do? We, we, we want God to validate our choice. I had a meeting in Dallas the other day, and, and I d- did something that I've often done. You know, I was in a big corporate building, and, you know, I had my parking ticket, and, you know, they said, well, you need to get your ticket validated. You need to get it stamped. Some people pick the person they want to hook up with, and they say, God, I want you to stamp my parking ticket. I'm praying, and I'm asking you. No, it's not like that. It's like asking God for his counsel, his advice. Pray. You know, you you never hear me me tell mother-in-law jokes unless they're far distanced from myself because I have the greatest mother-in-law in the world, and I love her with all my heart. And my mother-in-law has told me something repeatedly. She just told me again the other day. She said, when I was carrying Mary Alice, I was praying for you. She said, I didn't know your name, didn't know where you lived. I never knew you'd pastor a great church someday. But when I was carrying Mary Alice, I was praying for you. I mean, there's a mom who's saying, I'm going to ask God to bring the right person to my daughter. Hey, moms, check that one out. I'm not sure Mary Alice got a great deal, but I'm just saying, check it out anyway, all right? <laughs> Pray. Number two, think. Think. How many times do you see somebody in a relationship, and what do we say? What were they thinking? Well, that's your answer. They weren't thinking. Their hormones were doing their thinking for them. Think. You know, ask the questions. Think it through. You ready for the big one? Do you want to find the right person? Then you have to be the right person. You have to be the right person for somebody else. You have to be that person that's trustworthy. You have to be that person who's a giver and not a taker. You have to be that person who will do good for somebody and not harm every day of their lives. I've talked to many people who want to find the right person, but they don't want to be the right person. They, they want to be untrustworthy, but they want to find somebody who tells the truth. They're a taker, but they want to find a giver for obvious reasons. I mean, they don't want to do good, but they want to find somebody who will do them good. If I'm talking to anybody like that today, you don't want to find a partner. You want a slave, and slavery is illegal in America. If you want to find the right person, you have to be the right person. And if you're committed to these principles, I honestly believe God will help you find the right person. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you today for what you've taught us in these three services. These aren't my teachings, they're yours. And I pray that your Holy Spirit will touch the heart and life of every single, every kid here today, every teen, and give them the awareness. Lord, if someone I've talked to today, this message has been painful because of past decisions, I pray, Lord, that you will help them to know that you're the healer of broken hearts and that you will always give us another chance. I just ask, God, that you would work in our congregation. Lord, especially with our young people, help them to be the right people, help them to find the right people, all our singles, Lord, of all ages. Help them, Lord, in this all-important search, if they're searching. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you just still pray with me for a moment? You know, I talked today about 
receiving Jesus because that is the most important thing in your life. Hear me for a moment. I just talked to some of you a moment ago, and I said you need to be the right person. You need to be trustworthy. You need to be a giver, not a taker. You need to be someone who does good, not harm. And I I talked to some of you a moment ago, and you said to yourself, well, Mark just said I'm the wrong person because that's who I am. I guess there's no hope for me. Friend, I want to tell you there's all the hope in the world because Jesus Christ can come into your life, and he can absolutely transform you. If you're a taker, he can make you a giver. If you're a liar, he can make you a truth teller. If you're a harmer, God can make you a blesser. Here's what the Bible says. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, if any person is in Jesus Christ, he is a brand new person. Would you give God a chance? It is a miracle. It takes a miracle. I'm not asking you to turn over a new leaf. I'm asking you to receive a person. By faith, I'm asking you to invite God into your life through his son, Jesus Christ. And if you do that, God will do a miracle. It doesn't mean you'll be perfect today, but God will come in. He'll start doing a work in you. And God makes you a promise that if you'll invite Jesus Christ into your life, he'll keep working in your life until he eventually makes you like Jesus. If you've never received Christ, you can do that right now. Wherever you are, you can ask him into your heart and life. I'll pray a prayer and you can repeat it. If you mean it from your heart, God will listen to your prayer. Here we go. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner, but I believe you died for my sin. You paid the price. I accept your salvation. Forgive me. Save me. Change me. In Jesus' name. If you meant that from your heart today, I can promise you God heard you. Just like he's heard millions of people in history. I'd like to ask you to take a step, if you don't mind. When you came in today, you got a worship folder. There's a spot on that worship folder where you can put your address. If you'll check the box and say, Mark, I prayed with you to receive Jesus. i got something I really want you to have. It's just a packet of stuff and great information, some DVDs that will help you like, know what it means to follow Jesus. Take your first steps. If you'll drop it in those boxes by the back doors or the bottom of the staircase with an address, I'll mail you one this week. And if you don't want to wait, you don't have to. If you'll just take your card straight back to guest services, all you have to do is give them your card. They'll give you one. You can take it with you today. You don't have to make a speech or anything. You can just give them the card. And they'll give you one. You can take this with you. I'm so glad that you're here today. Next weekend, our, our message is about the joy and the challenge of blended families. It's called Happily Ever After Again. I'm looking forward to bringing that message. I'm really glad you're here. Ushers, would you come forward? They're going to receive our gifts or offerings. And, and as I always tell you, you know, you guys are so generous. You make God's work possible here. And right now, today, while we're getting together, because of what you guys do, God is working in Pakistan. God is working in, in, God is working in, in South America and Brazil and Peru. God is working in Europe. God's working all over the, the, the planet because of what you're doing here. And I know that, you know, God will bless you in turn. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gifts of your people and their generosity and their love for you. Lord, I pray that you will bless them for their gifts, bless them in every way, bless their homes, bless their families, bless their careers, bless their children. And Lord, we believe by faith that no one ever outgives you. We've experienced that. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.